0: Secondary school, I did not like history, and I did not like geography. Um, I'm not a big humanities fan. In fact, I wasn't even a Christian at that point, so the only reason I liked RE was I really liked arguing, and basically RE was a really good opportunity to argue um, with people. So, yeah, humanities were not my thing. So when I started looking at this talk... And realised that I was going to have to deal with both history and geography. I was a bit like, "Oh, my love of the Old Testament is being challenged here," but it's okay because there's some good stuff out there. So we are looking at Isaiah. We are jumping. Dave was in uh, chapter one. We are jumping all the way to the end of the sort of first half of Isaiah, and we're going to be looking in chapters 36 and 37. But To give us a little bit of help on how this all fits together, I found a really good table on Bible Gateway. In the Old Testament, there's these kings. They crop up in many books of the Bible. There's prophets. They equally crop up in many books of the Bible. The passage we're looking at today is not only found in Isaiah, it crops up in other books of the Bible as well. And sometimes this makes the Old Testament a bit confusing. You can feel like you're jumping backwards and forwards in time and not entirely sure what happened. But you probably can't read it. Go and hunt it on the computer. But Bible Gateway provides a really helpful table which talks you through the year, the king, whether they're essentially considered to be good or bad, the prophet that's talking at that particular time, and then the scripture that it you can find that bit in so at the beginning here, in this first bit of the table, you can see we 've got the combined kingdoms we 've got uh, the united kingdoms, the united tribes there under Saul, David, and Solomon, and then we split, and we 've got uh, Israel and Judah, both doing their separate things, and you both you find both of them talked about in the Bible, so you can see on uh, the left hand side, is that right, Matt? Yes, no. I don't know my left and my right, and it drives Matt up the wall when we're driving. Um, That side, uh, we've got Israel, and we've got what's going on there. This side, we've got Judah, and what is going on. And the bit we're looking at is Isaiah, and that's the bit in red. So this is what's going on. So you can see where Isaiah is, and we are looking at Hezekiah So Uzziah is there. He's the prophet talking to Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Hezekiah here at the bottom. But why we need to understand a bit of geography and a little bit of history is in this is that there's stuff going on in Israel at the same time that really impacts what's going on in Judah. In Israel, the northern tribes, the Assyrian Empire has taken them into captivity. And Hezekiah is seeing this going on. Now, we've done history, geography now, maps, coloring in. Um, So we've got... Sorry, geographers. um, You can see in the pale green, we've got the Assyrian Empire, 824. So this is pre-Isaiah. This is the Assyrian Empire... Darker, more other green, we've got the Assyrian Empire post-Isaiah. And you can see what's happened. The Assyrian Empire have gone from being this swathe at the top to taking over this vast chunk of the ancient Near East. It's a massive, massive thing. But you've got this tiny little country, or tiny little tribe in the middle, Judah, can you see it? It's in yellow. It's right in the middle, and Jerusalem is at the top. Now, power battles are big at this time. We know about Egypt. We know about the Egyptian empire. We can see it down here. They were a massive, powerful force. Then the Assyrian empire starts to sweep down, taking over power. Over on the far side, there's a little place called Babylon. In not that long, Babylon are going to suddenly start sweeping in as well. And Judah and Jerusalem are there in the middle. This tiny little area with empires from the south in the past, empires coming down from the north in the present and in the future. You've got the Babylonian Empire preparing to sweep over. And there they are, this tiny, tiny little place. Now, let's zoom in a little bit. Hezekiah is king in Jerusalem, and Isaiah is continuing to prophesy uh, over the nation. Now, King Hezekiah is considered a a good king, but as all of us may be considered good people, we make mistakes, we muck up. His dad before him, Ahaz, considered bad king, mucks up all the time. Hezekiah is trying to bring Judah and Jerusalem back into a relationship with God. He wants those covenant promises that have been promised to this nation to be lived out. And he's starting to make progress to see that happen. He's taken down all of the worship of of idols up on the hills and in the high places that were going on, and he's brought the worship back into the temple at Jerusalem. Now, like uh, Dave said, we've got a prophet Isaiah, and um, he's, he's talking, but the people's hearts are hard. Now, As with the Old Testament, people argue about what happens when, but it gets a little bit confusing at the end of Isaiah. Essentially, Isaiah 38 and 39 probably happened before Isaiah 36 and 37, but because of the way he writes, he likes to kind of make it make sense for the story. We're not great as people of reading our Bible. We read historically. We like to read things in chronological order. That's not how the Bible's written. The Bible's written to make a point. But the important thing to know is that Hezekiah, just before what we're going to read about happens, has been really ill. So ill, in fact, he's been on his deathbed and he said, God, what are you doing? I'm dying. And God grants him an additional 15 years on his life. Great, faithful, but also he's mucked up. He has uh, been scared. He can see what's going on north of his country, and he has made a uh, a treaty with Egypt. He's shaken hands. He's done a bit of a, a dodgy deal to say, do you know what? We need you to help us. We need an allegiance with you, He's also invited a load of envoys from Babylon just to, you know, hedge his bets to come and have a little scout round and make sure they're happy. Now, Isaiah is despairing, rolling his eyes. I mean, can you imagine it? I'm here. I'm a prophet. I'm telling you what to do. You're not talking to me. And off you go, making all of these uh, ridiculous allegiances. You're being seduced by great nations when you've got a great God enter Assyria. It's the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, and the commander of the Assyrian army comes down outside the walls of Jerusalem, and he calls out these words. Then the commander of the Assyrian army, that is, stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the words of the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Do not let Hezekiah, do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to the land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Have the gods of any nations ever delivered their lands from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Aep? Arpad. Where are the gods of Sahara? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save their lands from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hands? This guy, is called Sennacherib, makes these massive claims. He's rocked up Outside this city where Hezekiah has said, no, we worship the living God. He's brought worship back to the temple. And he rocks up and he says, well, none of the other gods have saved them. What are you doing? He speaks in a language that the people would have understood. Look at some of the words he's saying. He's saying there, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust the Lord. Don't let him mislead you. All of these words are asking the people one question. They're saying, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Now, we put our trust in things all the time. I don't expect any of you tested your chair before you sat down on it. We all just trusted that that chair... When we sat on it, we'd take our weight, we wouldn't fall through. We make choices about trust all the time. But we also let those trust things happen to us. When I was planning this talk, I did what every good person does, and I went straight on the internet and Googled it. Don't do it. The internet is full of stuff. That is utter nonsense. Total and utter nonsense. And as my children will tell me regularly, we don't trust Wikipedia, we don't trust these things. They're learning this all at school. They're being taught what to trust on the internet and what not to trust on the internet. It's really easy to slide down a rabbit warren of things that can't be trusted. What about money? Put your trust in money, in wealth, in earning stuff. It's really easy, isn't it, to slip into that place that says, Do you know what? If I just earn a bit more, I'll trust my security. I'll feel safer. I'll put my trust in earning a little bit more money. You know, in our family, all it would take is for Matt to not be able to go to work, and then it's gone. My trust, the thing I trusted, would vanish, like, in a matter of months. Where do I put my trust? People. I'm not saying we shouldn't trust people. We definitely should trust people. But do you know what? People let us down. We have to work out that those trust relationships... I'm surrounded at the moment by people who tell me, just live for yourself. Just live your best life. Trust only in yourself. Trust only in yourself. And I love that. Do you know what? I am a bit of a control freak. The concept of only trusting myself is ideal to me. But God says, no, trust me. These people have been told, no, don't trust worshipping these fake gods. Come to the temple and worship God. And Sennacherib's saying, what are you doing trusting this God? Don't be ridiculous. Trust me. Look at what I can do. All of these questions are, he's asking them, who do you trust? And this is the question that this commander is asking the people of Jerusalem when they're faced with an army. They don't have the manpower to defeat. And there's a man saying, why are you trusting God? And I reckon that was quite hard to hear because all these other nations trusted their gods and their gods didn't do anything. But Hezekiah was pretty wise, and he told them all, you must say nothing. Say nothing when he taunts you. Keep your mouth closed. And that's what they did. So Hezekiah hears this taunt that's come from the Assyrian army, and he says, when Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shibna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Pray for the remnant that still survives. Then jumping to verse 5. When Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. These words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. listen. When he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. And there I will have him cut down with a sword. Do not be afraid. We hear that, don't we, throughout the Bible. Do not be afraid. You can trust me. Now, Hezekiah wanted Isaiah to pray for him. He said to him, pray that the remnant survive. It's fascinating what Hezekiah does. Because what he doesn't do is pray. You'd think if you went to a prophet and said, pray for us. The first thing the prophet would be like, me and the Lord, we'll go and have a conversation. I'll pray and then I'll get back to you. But he doesn't. He doesn't pray. He says, do not be afraid. So why is this? Isaiah has absolute confidence in the promises that God has already made him God has already said to him that I will save a remnant I will put a king from the line of David on the throne this will happen and Isaiah trusts this he doesn't need to go back to God and say God please save them do this do that he has absolute trust In God. I found this really challenging. When faced with a mighty army, he just trusts. How would you, you know, we don't have mighty armies, but lots of us will be facing something that feels like a mighty army. Lots of us might be facing a a financial challenge, a, a challenge within our families that seems insurmountable. Isaiah has that certainty that God's promises stand true even when there is an army surrounding him on all sides. Now, Sennacherib received a report that the king of Cush was marching out to fight against him. So Cush sort of, Egypt, Ethiopia, that kind of area, start to march up. If you can picture that map, they're kind of coming up the side as if to fight uh, the Assyrian Empire. And Sennacherib gets a bit twitchy. He's like, hurry up. (laughs) I need to deal with this conquering this little place now because I'm a little bit twitchy and I need to uh, solve this. So He heard and he sent messages to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let God, the God you depend on, deceive you. when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Can you see he's saying, hang on, you're trusting God. Don't let God, don't do it. Don't trust him. Don't trust those promises. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the other countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezeth, the people of Edom who were in Telazar. Where is the king of Hamath Hamath, or the king of Ayapod? Where are the kings of Leib? All of these places that I can't say. Where are these kings? There's a word in here. And this this is all WTC's fault that I get into words and I enjoy them. This word here, destroyed, is the word haram. And it essentially doesn't mean destroyed as we picture it. What it means is given over completely to God or gods. And so what... Seneca is saying here, what the Assyrian army are saying is, what we've done is we've crushed these places and we've given them over to our God. Or in fact, possibly even more powerfully, he's saying that the king of Assyria is like God and we have given over these places to God. Now that's a dangerous battle to pick with the living God. You're saying... That all of these things that we've destroyed, we have given over to a God of wood, of stone, a God that doesn't really exist. We're trying to destroy the living God, the God that is the only one, and give it to a, a stone statue. He's picked a dangerous battle Again, so I say, who do you trust? The stone wooden gods or the living God? And so Hezekiah receives this message from the Assyrian Assyrian army and he reads it and he goes up to the temple and he spreads it out before the Lord. If you've uh, heard me speak at evening service I have a, a bit of a thing that I'm quite well known for saying that me and the Lord have some fairly uh, uh, fraught conversations it would fair, be fair to say I like talking to God and I like laying it out before him and I love that there's a biblical excuse for me to do this Hezekiah lays it all out before the Lord and I love that that's an invitation to you to say do you know what This army's attacking me, this thing's attacking me, this is going on, and I'm going to lay it out before the Lord. I'm not going to hide anything. I'm not going to just lay out this little bit and say, Well, God, if you could just deal with that, then don't worry about anything else. He lays it all out before the Lord. And then Hezekiah praised to the Lord, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these peoples and their land. They have thrown their gods in the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms on earth may know that you are the only Lord. What Hezekiah does is he doesn't launch into a prayer of petition. He doesn't launch into a prayer of saying, well, could you, if you could just give the Egyptian army some super speed and get them up here. And if you could just do, do you know what, do you ever pray like that? God, I like to give God little hints about what he could be doing. You know, little suggestions. Actually, God, just so you know, it would be really helpful if you could just do this now, because that would make my life much easier. Me, you know, I like, I like to think that I'm wise and can tell him what to do. Um, yeah, doesn't work. He is the living God. What Hezekiah does He spreads it out before the Lord, and then before he goes into his suggestions, he says, God, you are the living God. You are the creator of heaven and earth. He affirms all the promises of who God is. He says, I trust you. Before he starts telling God what he'd like him to do, he says, no, I trust you. You alone are the God over these kingdoms. You are the maker of heaven and earth. When we come before God, how often do we jump straight into kind of our, please, Lord, help me. I found this really challenging, actually, to say, God, no, I need to come before you and say, this is who you are. This is who you are. And then he makes a simple prayer. Deliver us from his hand, not so that Hezekiah can feel good, but so that the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. And then we come on to this next bit. Hezekiah, um, Isaiah, sorry, then prophesies God's response. Isaiah speaks the words of God and he says, have you not heard? So this is the voice of God speaking through Isaiah. Have you heard? Long ago I ordained it. In the days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. What God's saying here is quite hard for us to hear sometimes. He's saying, do you know what? I was in control when all those nations were being defeated. I was guiding your force when you defeated these people. And he goes on to say, but I know where you are and when you come and go and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and because of your insolence has reached my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. Look at all those eyes. God saying, I am in control. I ordained it. I planned it. I brought it to pass. I know where you are. I will put a hook in your nose, which means I and will be in control. I will make you return to where you came from. So who do you trust? It's hard, isn't it, when things are attacking us. God is demonstrating his power. I'm going to get back there. He finishes this story on what is sometimes a bit hard. Violence in the Old Testament a bit challenging for us, isn't it? What God does at the end of this is he sends the army of the living God, the angel of the Lord, and he kills 185,000 soldiers while they're sleeping. And when Sennacherib wakes up, the Assyrian commander wakes up, he finds 185,000 bodies dead in his camp. And he turns around and he goes back to where he came from. I find violence in the Old Testament really tricky. But who do you trust? I trust God. And do you know what? I could do an awful lot of study into violence into the Old Testament and why God allows those things to happen. And there's lots of books I recommend, I can recommend to you if you want to go there. But I trust the living God. And so when it's really hard and I read a passage in the Bible and I have to ask a question, why did God allow 185,000 people to die in that army? Why did God Use an army to wipe out the whole of Israel? I don't know. But who do you trust? I trust the living God. I trust in his plans and I trust in his purposes. So, my final kind of challenge for us is can we be a confident people who trust the promises of God? Can we be like Hezekiah and just lay it all out before the Lord? Before we give him ideas of what we want him to do, can we say, yes, God, I trust that you are the living God? And who are the prophetic voices speaking to your life, reminding you of that? Because we need that in our life. We need voices that remind us of the promises that God is keeping Who are those prophetic voices that speak to you and say to you, this is the promises of God. You can have confidence in him. So I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, the Old Testament is full of tricky stuff sometimes, but it asks us, who can we trust? Lord, help us to say, I trust the living God. When armies attack me, when I feel surrounded and battered and bruised, I trust the living God. Amen.